And welcome, everybody, to tonight's Zoomcast on Isaiah's Prophecy, Chapter 44, Historical Precedent as End-Time Prophecy. <coughs> and tonight we'll be using uh, the Isaiah Institute's translation of Isaiah. Verse 1, hear now Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen, and thus says Jehovah, your maker, who formed you from the womb and succored you. Be not afraid, O Jacob, my servant, and Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. So in Isaiah, the Jacob-Israel uh, level of people are God's covenant people who have not yet <laughs> repented, returned, and entered into full covenant with him. But there is a portion of Jacob Israel who does, and a portion of Jacob Israel who does not. So Isaiah starts out talking to that portion of Jacob Israel who does repent and return, and becomes elect and qualifies for the end time exodus. Now, it is not arbitrary, you know, those who are Jacob Israel. They have qualified for it previous to this lifetime. Thus says Jehovah, your maker, who formed you from the womb and succored you, or in other words, Father and Christ knew you before you came here, and you were placed where you are because you qualified for it. And because you qualified for it, you have a greater responsibility. And where there is greater responsibility, there is both opportunity and condemnation for not living up to that responsibility. Be not afraid, O Jacob, my servant, and Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. Now, the term Jeshurun um, denotes those of Jacob Israel who do enter into and keep covenant with their God. Um, and notice how the Lord says, be not afraid, O Jacob, my servant. Um, for it's among the Lord's house who are called to be the end time servants to awake and arise, enter into covenant with their God, even the new and everlasting covenant, and through it become a son or daughter of Jesus Christ, qualify for the end time exodus, and therefore qualify <coughs> to be among those who will gather Israel. And so, you know, my servant Jacob is talking about a specific uh, strata within Jacob Israel, you know, those who have been called in the last days to be the gatherers, to be the servants who gather Israel. Verse three, I will pour water on the thirsty soil, showers upon the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring, my blessing upon your posterity. So, the soil has become thirsty 
and the ground dry, <clears throat> both because of the destructive actions of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, and the religious organizations who unite with him to conceal the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is based on the doctrine of Christ. But as we read in DNC 45, when the time of the Gentiles is come in, a light shall break forth among them that sit in darkness, and it shall be the fullness of my gospel. Well, the water that is poured out on thirsty soil, the showers upon the dry ground, <coughs> has direct reference to this light breaking forth among them that sit in darkness. Let's go to DNC 45. Verse 28, and when the time of the Gentiles is come in, okay, this is the end time servants opening again of the heavens, opening the dispensation of the fullness of times, or Joseph Smith in his second ministry, which makes it possible again by entering into the new and everlasting covenant to receive the baptism of fire baptism of the Holy Ghost, and to enter into the rest of the Lord. So when the time of the Gentiles is come in, a light shall break forth among them that sit in darkness, and it shall be the fullness of my gospel. All right, this is the same thing as verse 3 in Isaiah 44. I will pour water on the thirsty soil, showers upon the dry ground. Thirsty soil indicates that there are those who are ready to receive the fullness of the gospel. They're kept from the truth only because they know not where to find it. Verse 4, they shall shoot up like grass among streams of water, like willows by running brooks. One will say, I am Jehovah's, and another name himself Jacob. Yet others will inscribe on their arm to Jehovah and adopt the name of Israel. <clears throat> well, those who receive the fullness of the gospel and enter into the new and everlasting covenant will receive the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost, at which time the Gentile blood is burned out of them and they become blood Israel. Cross-reference. First Nephi, 14, verses 1 and 2. Talking about this same period of time, when the light shall break forth among them that sit in darkness, and the water is poured out upon thirsty soil, showers upon the dry ground. And it shall come to pass that if the Gentiles, or the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, shall hearken unto the Lamb of God in that day, in the day when the heavens shall be opened, a new dispensation opened, and knowledge of the covenants that Christ extends to his people, or the doctrine of Christ, again rings forth 
hearken unto the Lamb of God in that day, that he shall manifest himself unto them in word and also in power. In word, which is uh, the doctrine of Christ, in power, which is the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, or the power of godliness being manifest unto men in the flesh. In very deed unto the taking away of their stumbling blocks. Well, what are the stumbling blocks of the Latter-day Saints? Well, the stumbling blocks of the Latter-day Saints is the belief that it is our temple recommend and temple marriage that give us the e-ticket to the celestial kingdom. When, in fact, we haven't even yet received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. When, in fact, we're not even on track with those things to enter into the rest of the Lord in this life and thus qualified to enter into the gates of New Jerusalem. Verse 2, and harden not their hearts against the Lamb of God. Well, <clears throat> we find out in DNC 45 that when this light breaks forth among them that sit in darkness, and it shall be the fullness of my gospel, most do harden their hearts against the Lamb of God. For in DNC 45, verse 59. Pardon me, in DNC 45, verse 29. But they receive it not, for they perceive not the light, and they turn their hearts from me because of the precepts of men. And in that generation shall the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So back in 1 Nephi 14. So, or in other words, starting at the beginning of verse 2, <clears throat> for those who do not harden their hearts because of the precepts of men, and harden not their hearts against the Lamb of God. So we already know that this is going to be the few, this is going to be the minority, because DNC 45 outlines that the majority are going to reject the fullness of the gospel. They shall be numbered among the seed of thy father. They shall be numbered among the house of Israel. Okay, going back to Isaiah 44. One will say, I am Jehovah's, and another name himself Jacob. Yet others will inscribe in their arm to Jehovah and adopt the name Israel. Well, how does one adopt the name Israel? Um, how does one inscribe on their arm Jehovah? Um, how does one say, I am Jehovah's? Well, it's through the formal adoption ceremony of the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, when we are adopted as sons or daughters of Jesus Christ. And all of those who are willing and truly desire to take upon themselves the name of Jesus Christ. And remember, a desire is different than a want. We can want many things that we're not willing to pay the price for, but a desire is that which we are willing to pay the price for. And so those who desire to take upon them the name of Christ are willing to offer up the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit and do whatever is required and receive any experience that is required to become his sons and his daughters have the Gentile blood burned out of us and become blood Israel. 
Now, let's go to 3 Nephi 16. Verse 10. And thus commandeth the Father that I should say unto you. <laughs> so this is Christ talking to the Nephites. And he is prophesying unto them that which Father commanded him to prophesy to the Nephites. And it's precisely about us and our forefathers. At that day when the Gentiles shall sin against my gospel and shall reject the fullness of my gospel. Now, there are only two candidates in the last days among the Gentiles who have received the fullness of the gospel. The first were the saints among Joseph Smith's uh, day in his first ministry. And the second will be the members of the church who will be alive during his second ministry. Those are the two times when the fullness of the gospel is given to the Gentiles. Um, and regarding, you know, again, this second restoration to the Gentiles or to the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, this is exactly what we were reading in 1 Nephi 14, uh, verses 1 and 2, <clears throat> and DNC 45. And when, the, verse 28, and when the time of the Gentiles is come in, okay, this is the second time that the fullness of the gospel has been given to the Gentiles, and it is in our generation. A break, light shall break forth among them that sit in darkness. Those who sit in darkness are the Latter-day Saints, in addition to the entire world. But this is specifically about the Latter-day Saints. And it shall be the fullness of my gospel. So going back again, 3 Nephi 16. Verse 10, at that day when the Gentiles shall sin against my gospel and shall reject the fullness of my gospel. Okay. Verse 29 again in verse 40 in section 45, but they receive it not for they perceive not the light and they turn their hearts from me because of the precepts of men. Okay. Back in third Nephi 16, 10 and shall reject the fullness of my gospel and shall be lifted up in the pride of their hearts above all nations, and above all the people of the whole earth, and shall be filled with all manner of lyings, and of deceits, and of mischiefs, and all manner of hypocrisy, and murders, and priestcrafts, and whoredoms, and of secret abominations. And if they shall do all those things, and shall reject the fullness of my gospel, behold, saith the Father, I will bring the fullness of my gospel from among them. Well, this happened in Joseph Smith's day, and it is going to happen again in our day. However, verse 13, but if the Gentiles, or if the Latter-day Saints, <clears throat> both during Joseph Smith's first ministry and during his second, will repent and return unto me, notice the collective nature. saith the Father. Question is, how do we repent and return? Well, how does Christ instruct us to repent and return? Because Book of Mormon prophets, over and over again, cry out unto the Gentiles and beckon us that we need to repent and return. But 
our whole life we've grown up thinking, well, that's talking about all of the Christian world who won't accept um, the fullness of the gospel as it is taken to them by the missionaries of the LDS church. When in reality, it's talking about us. But if the Gentiles will repent and return unto me, saith the Father, behold, they shall be numbered among my people, O house of Israel. Going back to Isaiah 44. One will say, I am Jehovah's, and another name himself Jacob. Yet others will inscribe on their arm to Jehovah and adopt the name Israel. Well, how is it that we repent and return to be numbered among the house of Israel? Well, it's the new and everlasting covenant and the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. DNC 103. Verse 15, behold, I say unto you, the redemption of Zion must needs come by power. Okay, so we've set the stage. This is about the redemption of Zion. And do you have to redeem something or can you even redeem something that has not fallen? No, the entire parable of the redemption of Zion in DNC 101 is about how Zion was established during the days of Joseph, how Zion would fall and then during Joseph's second ministry, starting in DNC 10155, how he would return to gather out the strength of the Lord's house and in preparation for the end time exodus. Well, DNC 103 is about that end time exodus with the return of Joseph. And so, behold, I say unto you, the redemption of Zion must needs come by power. Therefore, I will raise up unto my people a man who shall lead them like as the Moses led the children of Israel. Okay, so this is how Zion in the last days is going to be redeemed. For ye are the children of Israel and the seed of Abraham. So we have just established the qualification for those who are to be called the strength of the Lord's house. <clears throat> to be called out on the end time exodus and to be led even as the children of Israel were led by Moses out of Egypt. And ye are the children of Israel. Well, that means that the group that is going to be gathered out is a select group who will enter into the new and everlasting covenant and become Christ's sons and daughters through it. So the bar is higher for the end time exodus than it was for the original exodus by Moses of the children of Israel out of Egypt. And as your fathers were led at first, even so shall the redemption of Zion be. So again, as your fathers, well, we qualify as children of the fathers through the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and being adopted into the house of Israel, being adopted as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. And finally, DNC 88.
Actually, first, we're going to go back to DNC 44. So again, one will say, I am Jehovah's, and another name himself Jacob. Yet others will inscribe on their arm to Jehovah and adopt the name Israel. Well, this is our task and our responsibility to prepare ourselves um, to take upon us the name of Jesus Christ and qualify as the strength of the Lord's house. And verse six, thus says Jehovah, the King of Israel, Jehovah of hosts, the Redeemer. I was at the first and I am at the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Now we transition to that portion of Jacob, Israel, who will not so readily take upon them the name of Christ or enter into the new covenant, receive the fullness of the gospel. Verse 7, who predicts what happens as I do and is equal of me in appointing a people from old as types foretelling things to come? Now, this is an explanation of the literary technique used throughout the book of Isaiah. Um, and in reality, it's used also throughout the book of Doctrine and Covenants, where historical precedent is used as end-time metaphor. <laughs> and thus, the book of Isaiah becomes a book of end-time prophecy. And so does the book Doctrine and Covenants. A similar literary technique was used in both books. And Lord describes it right here. Verse 7, who predicts what happens as I do and is the equal of me? In other words, I have told you precisely what is going to happen. And all of my words shall be fulfilled. While the myriad of false prophets who come forward are not able to prophesy of how things are going to play out. And this is one of the ways <clears throat> that one is to discern a true prophet from a false one. A true prophet correctly prophesies in the name of the Lord. And we're going to find that this is one of the keys to identifying the Lord's end time servant when he comes back on the scene, as is discussed in Isaiah 48 and 49, that when the end time servant comes back on the scene, he will be able to declare that the prophecies that the Lord already declared through his words and recorded in the books of Doctrine and Covenants um, and Isaiah and Jeremiah have now been fulfilled. In appointing a people from of old as types for telling things to come. Again, this is the literary technique, appointing a people from, from of old as types for telling things to come. Historical precedence as end time metaphor. Verse eight, be not perturbed or shaken. Have I not made it known to you from old? Did I not foretell it, you being my witnesses? Is there a God then apart from me? There is no rock unknown to me. Second Nephi 28. Verse 28. 
regarding Isaiah 44, verse 8, be not perturbed or shaken. 2 Nephi 28, 28. And in fine woe unto all those who tremble and are angry because of the truth of God. For behold, he that is built upon the rock receiveth it with gladness. And he that is built upon a sandy foundation trembleth lest he shall fall. Or in other words, all that has to be done to determine whether or not one is built upon the rock who is Christ and revelation is to declare high truth. And he that receives it with gladness is built upon the rock. But he who is angry because of the truth um, is not built upon the rock. Or he who is perturbed or shaken by the declaration of truth, by the playing out of true events, is not built upon Christ. Have I not made it known to you from uh, from of old? Have I not prophesied to you in scripture um, time and time again exactly what was going to happen? Did I not foretell it? You being my witnesses? What does that mean? You being my witnesses? Well, it has several layers of meaning. But one of them being you to whom the fullness of the gospel went forth to in scripture. You who had the prophecies in the Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants and the ability to understand them. And because you had these, you also had the ability to understand the Book of Isaiah. <clears throat> so we are the ones who should be these witnesses. Is there a God then apart from me? There is no rock unknown to me. And you know, again, you know, Christ is the rock. And those who are built upon Christ uh, know his voice. And when truth is declared, they innately know it because the Holy Ghost testifies to them that it is true. And they have done their best to take the Holy Spirit as their guide. Therefore, they find the truth and are not deceived. Who predicts what happens? Isaiah 44, 7. As do I. And is the equal of me in appointing a people from old as types for telling things to come. Be not perturbed or shaken. Have I not made it known to you from, from of old? Did I not foretell it, you being my witnesses? Is there a God then apart from me? There is no rock unknown to me. Or in other words, there are no people who are my people who are not able to hear my voice when it is spoken to them. All who manufacture idols are deranged. The things which they cherish profit nothing. Those who promote them are themselves sightless and mindless to their own dismay. 
Who would fashion a God or cast an idol that cannot benefit them? All who manufacture idols are deranged. The things they cherish, cherish profit nothing. Those who promote them are themselves sightless and mindless to their own dismay. And as we read these, you know, ask yourself, what are the idols today? For certainly they are different than the historical precedent that adds or that acts as anti-metaphor that is being described here. Who would fashion a God or cast an idol that cannot benefit them? Their whole society is confused. Their fabricators are mere mortals. Were they all to assemble and take their stand before me, they would at once cringe in fear. The smith with his tools works the iron over the coals and gives it shape by hammering. He forges his God by the strength of his arm. When he becomes hungry, he no longer has strength. If he fails to drink water, he begins to grow faint. The woodworker draws a diagram sketching his idol with a marker. He creates it by chiseling to the outline of the dividers. He gives it a human likeness resembling man's beauty fit to lodge in a house. Let's go to 2 Nephi 28. And in verse 1. And now behold my brother. And in 2 Nephi 28, Nephi is seeing a vision of our day. And he sees, you know, the, the churches of Christendom. Um, but 2 Nephi 28 is particularly about the Latter-day Saints. And, you know, it starts out um, listing, you know, sins among the Latter-day Saints that are also, you know, problems with the rest of Christendom. And then he zeroes in exclusively on the sins of the Latter-day Saints that are pe peculiar to us. <clears throat> and now behold, my brethren, I have spoken unto you according as the Spirit hath constrained me. Wherefore, I know that they must surely come to pass. All right. Again, we have this theme of prophecy and that only God can prophesy into the future and be completely accurate. And the things which shall be written out of the books shall be of great worth unto the children of men and especially unto our seed, which is a remnant of the house of Israel. For it shall come to pass that the day that churches which are built up and not unto the Lord, when the one shall say unto the other, behold, I, I am the Lord's. And the other shall say, I, I am the Lord's. And thus shall everyone say that hath built up churches and not unto the Lord. And they shall contend one with another and their priests shall contend one with another. 
and they shall teach with their learning and deny the Holy Ghost, which giveth utterance. If we go to 2 Nephi 28, 31, cursed is he that putteth his trust in man or maketh flesh his arm, or shall hearken unto the precepts of men, save their precepts shall be given by the power of the Holy Ghost. So by denying the power of the Holy Ghost, they both do not speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, nor do they teach the true doctrine about how one can actually receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we fall into a trap when we accept as doctrine the pronouncements of those who speak not by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. And verse 5, And they deny the power of God, the Holy One of Israel, and they say unto the people, Hearken unto us, and hear ye our precept. For behold, there is no God today, for the Lord and the Redeemer hath done his work, and he hath given his power unto men. So what this is saying is that it's not possible for the people today to have a personal and intimate relationship with God. So personal and intimate that they might become his sons and daughters. So personal and intimate that they might be instructed about how to part the veil and enter into the rest of the Lord. Instead, we're told that these things are inappropriate. Behold, hearken unto my precept. If they shall say there is a miracle wrought by the hand of the Lord, believe it not. For this day he is not a God of miracles. He hath done his work. Do you remember conference talk in 2010? Um, at least I think it was 2010, about the faith not to be healed. The Book of Mormon is replete with the doctrine about how we become sons and daughters of Christ through the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, how we are to enter into the rest of the Lord. And yet, when is that ever taught to us today in its true doctrine, that the requirement is a broken heart, contrite spirit, that the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost does not happen at the age of eight when we're confirmed, but it is a life's journey, and it will be the most profound spiritual experience of our life until the day that we enter into the rest of the Lord, which rest is the fullness of his glory in this life. Behold, hearken ye unto my precept. If they shall say there is a miracle wrought by the hand of the Lord, believe it not. For this day he is not a God of miracles. He hath done his work. Exercise the faith not to be healed. Um, when asked, have you as an apostle seen our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And the response is no, and neither has anybody else that I know. Yea, and there shall be many which shall say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, and it shall be well with us. Or stay in the center of the ship, do not go to the extremities. 
And there shall also be many which shall say, eat, drink, and be merry. Nevertheless, fear God. You will justify in committing a little sin. Yea, lie a little, take advantage of one because of his words. Dig a pit for thy neighbor. There is no harm in this. And do all these things for tomorrow we die. And if it so be that we are guilty, God will beat us with a few stripes. And at last we shall be saved in the kingdom of our God because we have a current temple recommend and we've been sealed in the temple. Yea, and there shall be many which shall teach after this manner false and vain and foolish doctrines and shall be puffed up in their hearts and shall seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord and their work shall be in the dark. And the blood of the saints shall cry from the ground against them. Yea, they have all gone out of the way. They have become corrupted because of pride and because of false teachers and false doctrine. Their churches have become corrupted and their churches are lifted up because of pride. They are puffed up. They rob the poor because of their fine sanctuaries. They rob the poor because of their fine clothing. And they persecute the meek and the poor in heart because in their pride, they're puffed up. They wear stiff necks and high heads. Yet because of pride and wickedness and abominations and whoredoms, they have all gone astray, save it be a few who are the humble followers of Christ. Nevertheless, they are led that in many instances they do err because they are taught by the precepts of men. Well, so that you know exactly who we're talking about. These humble followers of Christ who in many instances do err because they're taught by the precepts of men. If we go back to DNC 45. Regarding the light that shall break forth among them that sit in darkness. The fullness of the gospel. But they receive it not for they perceive not the light. For they turn their hearts from me because of the precepts of men. The majority of the Latter-day Saints turn their hearts from Christ because of the precepts of men, because of the things which they are taught, and they're taught that it's the fullness of the gospel when it is, in fact, not. And so they reject the fullness of the gospel, relying upon the words of those instead who speak not by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost over the scriptures and over those who do. Back in 2 Nephi 28. Nevertheless, they are led, end of verse 14, that in many instances they do err because they are taught by the precepts of men. Oh, the wise and the learned, the rich that are puffed up in the pride of their hearts, and all those who preach false doctrines, and all those who commit whoredoms and pervert the right ways of the Lord. Woe, woe, woe unto them, saith the Lord God Almighty, for they shall be thrust down to hell. Okay, it's this, those who preach false doctrines, who commit whoredoms and pervert the right way of the Lord, this is the idolatry being spoken of in Isaiah 44. It's the idolatry of claiming to be God's people when Neither is it being taught or practiced the gospel of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of Christ, how we actually are to take upon us the name 
of Jesus Christ. Verse 16, woe unto them that turn aside the just for a thing of naught, and revile against that which is good, and say that there that it is of no worth. For the day shall come that the Lord God will speedily visit the inhabitants of the earth, and in that day that they are fully ripe in iniquity, they shall perish. Okay, again, this has direct reference to that abomination of desolation, which begins among us. DNC 88. Therefore, tarry ye and labor diligently, that you may be perfected in your ministry to go forth among the Gentiles for the last time, or among the Latter-day Saints for the last time. You know, this Lord is speaking here to the first labors in the last kingdom, those who are to return with Joseph Smith to gather out the strength of the Lord's house. As many as the mouth of the Lord shall name, to bind up the law and seal up the testimony. Well, who are those that the mouth of the Lord names? Well, those who enter into and keep the new and everlasting covenant. And to prepare the saints for the hour of judgment, which is to come, that their souls may escape the wrath of God, the desolation of abomination, which awaits the wicked, both in this world and in the world to come. Verily I say unto you, let those... Um, Going back to 2 Nephi 28. So in verse 17, it's this abomination of desolation in the last days that is being referred to. But behold, if the inhabitants of the earth shall repent of their wickedness and abominations, they shall not be destroyed, saith the Lord of hosts. For it begins among the Lord's own people, and then it spreads throughout all peoples of the entire earth. Verse 18, but behold, that great and abominable church, the whore of all the earth, must tumble to the earth, and great must be the fall thereof. Okay, this great and abominable church. Let's go to 1 Nephi chapter 14. So, in that day, in verse 1, when the Lord shall manifest himself unto the Latter-day Saints in power and word and deed unto the taking away the stumbling blocks or to the restoration of the doctrine of Christ, and those who harden not their hearts against the Lamb of God, you know, they shall be numbered among the house of Israel. And be a blessed people upon the promised land forever. No more brought down into captivity. And the house of Israel shall no more be confounded. Okay. Now we get into the great and abominable church. Talked about in 2 Nephi 28.18. You know, and verse 18. But behold, that great and abominable church, the whore of all the earth, must tumble to the earth and great must be the fall thereof. Verse three of first Nephi 14 and that great pit, which hath been digged for them, them being the Latter-day Saints referred to in first Nephi 14 verses one and two by that great and abominable church, 
Well, how could the great and abominable church specifically dig a pit for the Latter-day Saints? Which was founded by the devil and his children that he might lead away the souls of men down to hell. Yea, that great pit which hath been digged for the destruction of men shall be filled by those who digged it. Under their utter destruction, saith the Lamb of God, not the destruction of the soul, save it be the casting of it into that hell which hath no end. The implication is that the leaders of the LDS church have aligned and joined themselves with the great and abominable church. And the great and abominable church is more than just one church organization. It's much more than just say the Catholic church. No, this is the great secret global uh, conspiracy or secret combination which has been with us since the days of Cain and has been passed down ever since. Until today, it has infiltrated every organization upon the face of the whole earth and has seduced the leaders of our church to join with it and has seduced the leaders of our church to dig a pit for the members of the church and what does Nephi say? That he might lead away the souls of men down to hell. Yea, that great pit which hath been digged for the destruction of men. And in 2 Nephi 28, verse 18. But behold, that great and abominable church, the whore of all the earth, must tumble to the earth, and great must be the fall thereof. First Nephi 14, verse 3. That great pit shall be filled by those who digged it unto their utter destruction, saith the Lamb of God. And back to 2 Nephi 28. For the kingdom of the devil must shake. And they which belong to it must needs be stirred up unto repentance, or the devil will grasp them with his everlasting chains, and they be stirred up to anger and perish. For behold, at that day shall he rage in the hearts of the children of men and stir them up to anger against that which is good. And others will he pacify and load them away into carnal security, that he will say all is well in Zion. Yea, Zion prospereth, and all is well, and thus the devil cheateth their souls and leadeth them away carefully down to hell. So describing here two different groups of Latter-day Saints, those who would become angry because of the truth or because of the doctrine of Christ and its open declaration, and those who would be content and have been lulled away into carnal security, that all is well in Zion. Zion prospereth, all is well, and thus the devil cheateth their souls and leadeth them away carefully down to hell. Talking about the Latter-day Saints. Verse 32 in 2 Nephi 28, also talking about the Latter-day Saints. Woe be unto the Latter-day Saints, the Gentiles, saith the Lord God of hosts, for notwithstanding I shall lengthen out mine arm unto them from day to day, 
they will deny me. Nevertheless, I will be merciful unto them, saith the Lord God, if they will repent and come unto me, for mine arm is lengthened out all the day long, saith the Lord God of hosts. Well, that arm being lengthened out all the day long is the end time servant who is sent in both a first and second ministry. And in both, the majority rejected. Going back to 1 Nephi 14. Therefore, verse 6. Woe be unto the Gentiles or Latter-day Saints, if it so be that they harden their hearts against the Lamb of God. For the time cometh that the Lamb of God, saith the Lamb of God, that I will work a great and marvelous work among the children of men. Now, what is this great and marvelous work that God works upon the children of men? Well, it commences with the establishment of Zion which is the beginning of the Exodus. And that commences the gathering out of Israel from the four corners of the earth. That is the marvelous work and a wonder. And it commences during Joseph Smith's second ministry. For the time cometh, saith the Lamb of God, that I will work a great marvelous work among the children of men, a work which shall be everlasting either on the one hand or on the other, either to convincing of them unto peace and eternal life, or into the deliverance of them to the hardness of their hearts and the blindness of their minds, unto their being brought down into captivity and also unto destruction, both temporally and spiritually according to the captivity of the devil <coughs> of which I have spoken. And what does DNC 45 prophesy? When this light shall break forth among them that sit in darkness, the beginning of the marvelous work and wonder, they shall receive it not because they turn their hearts from me because of the precepts of men or because of the false, vain, and foolish teachings of the leaders of their church. Combined with the hardness of their own hearts. Verse 8, And it came to pass that when the angel had spoken these words, he said unto me, Rememberest thou the covenants of the Father unto the house of Israel? And I said unto him, Yea. And it came to pass that he said unto me, Look, and behold that great and abominable church, which is the mother of abominations, whose founder is the devil, which we just learned in verse 3, that our own church leaders have joined and aligned themselves with and have dug a pit to ensnare and destroy the members of the church. Look and behold that great and abominable church, which is the mother of abominations, whose founder is the devil. And he said unto me, Behold, there are saved two churches only. The one is the church of the Lamb of God, and the other is the church of the devil. Wherefore, whoso belongeth not to the church of the Lamb of God belongeth to the great church, to that great church, which is the mother of abominations, and she is the whore of all the earth. Well, what does Christ say distinguishes his church. Let's go to 3 Nephi 27. Verse 4. And the Lord said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Why is it? that the people should murmur and dispute because of this thing. 
Have they not read the scriptures which say that ye must take upon you the name of Christ? You must take upon you the name of Christ. Well, how do we do that? Third Nephi 9. Verse 17. And as many as have received me to them have I given to become the sons of God. We take upon ourselves the name of Christ by becoming a son or daughter of Christ. Through, verse 20. And ye shall offer for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and contrite spirit. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. That's how we take upon us the name of Christ. And that can only happen when the fullness of the gospel is on the earth. When there are those who hold the Melchizedek priesthood, who have been ordained and sealed to it, that is the only way. Verse 5 in 3 Nephi 27. Have they not read the scriptures which say that you must take upon you the name of Christ, which is my name? For by this name shall ye be called at the last day, only if he has adopted us as sons or daughters. And whoso taketh upon him my name and endureth to the end, the same shall be saved at the last days. Or in other words, Whoso has received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then continues to feast upon the words of Christ. And whoso taketh upon him my name and endureth to the end, the same shall be saved in the last day, or at the last day. Therefore, whatsoever ye shall do, do it in my name. Therefore, you shall call the church in my name, and you shall call upon the Father in my name, and he will bless the church for my sake. For how be it my church, save it be called in my name. For if a church be called in Moses' name, then it be Moses' church. Or if it be called in the name of a man, then it be the church of a man. But if it be called in my name, then it is my church, if it so be that they are built upon my gospel. So we have two requirements. <clears throat> the church must have Christ's name in it. That is necessary, but it's not sufficient. And also it must be based upon his gospel. Now, what is required for it to be based upon his gospel? DNC 84. Verse 19, and this greater priesthood administereth the gospel and holdeth the key of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God. Well, to be based upon his gospel, it has to have his priesthood. Not just the Aaronic priesthood, which the Latter-day uh, Saints have, but also the Melchizedek, which was taken from them in May 1834. Because that order of the priesthood contains the key of the knowledge of God, even the key of the mysteries of the kingdom. Well, what are those? That is the key to be able to be instructed about how to part the veil and enter into the rest of the Lord, which is given when the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, is performed by this order of the priesthood. Verse 21, and without the ordinances thereof, 
the ordinance of baptism of water and fire and the Holy Ghost and the authority of the priesthood and a man being upon the earth who has been ordained and sealed to this order of the priesthood, the power of godliness or the reception of the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost is not manifest unto men in the flesh. Conversely, when there is a man upon the earth who's been ordained and sealed to the sword of the priesthood, when the ordinance of baptism of water and fire and the Holy Ghost are able to be performed and the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost able to be received, you know, then the fullness of the gospel is upon the earth. Third Nephi 27 again. The end of verse 8. But if it be called in my name, then it is my church, if it so be that they are built upon my gospel. My gospel being the doctrine of Christ. And what does First Nephi 14 say? Verse 10. And he said unto me, behold, there are saved two churches only. The one is the church of the Lamb of God, which is based upon his gospel, is called in his name, has his power and authority, has the ordinances that pertain to that order of the gospel, and if it does not. And the other is the church of the devil, wherefore whoso belongeth not to the church of the Lamb of God belongeth to that great and abominable church, which is the mother of of abominations and the whore of all the earth. Back in third Nephi 27. Verse nine, fairly I say unto you that ye are built upon my gospel because Christ has just come and visited the Nephites and restored the fullness of his gospel to them. And notice what was the first thing he did in third Nephi 11. He gave Nephi the power to baptize the people with water. And then as soon as Nephi had had, and the rest of the 12 disciples had that priesthood sealed upon them, in 3 Nephi 18, he gave them the commandment to go forth and perform the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Really, I say unto you that ye are built upon my gospel. Therefore, ye shall call whatsoever thing ye do call in my name. Therefore, if ye call upon Father for the church if it be in my name, the Father will hear you. And if it so be that the church is built upon my gospel, then will the Father show forth his own works in it. Well, what does that mean, that the Father will show forth his works in it? The power of godliness will be manifest unto men in the flesh. Men and women will receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. They'll also experience the other gifts of the spirit. But if it is not built upon my gospel and is built upon the works of men or upon the works of the devil, verily I say unto you, they have joy in their works for a season and by and by the end cometh and they are hewn down and cast into the fire from whence there is no return. So there are churches which are built upon man and upon the devil who have success for a season. For their works do follow them. 
For it is because of their works that they are hewn down. Therefore, remember the things that I have told you. Behold, I have given unto you my gospel, and this is the gospel which I have given unto you, that I came into the world to do the will of my Father, because my Father sent me. And my Father sent me that I might be lifted upon the cross. And after that I had been lifted upon the cross, that I might draw all men unto me. That is, I have been lifted up by men, even so should men be lifted up by the Father to stand before me, to be judged of their <coughs> works, whether they be good or whether they be evil. And for this cause, <coughs> I've been lifted up, therefore, according to the power of the Father, I will draw all men unto me, that they may be judged according to their works. And it shall come to pass that whoso repenteth and is baptized in my name shall be filled. And if he endureth to the end, behold him, will I hold guiltless before my father at that day when I shall stand to judge the world. So this is our e-ticket to the celestial kingdom. Whoso repenteth and is baptized with water and fire and the Holy Ghost and endure to the end. That enduring to the end is continuing to feast upon the words of Christ, as 2 Nephi 32 tells us, which the words of Christ will tell us all things what we should do. So the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, isn't the end, it's the beginning. And then we can be instructed in all the ways of God. And this is enduring to the end if we are obedient unto that instruction. And included in that instruction will be about how to part the veil and enter into the rest of the Lord in this life. And verse 17, and he that endureth not unto the end, the same is he that also is hewn down and cast into the fire. So even if you've received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, but then fail to feast upon the words of Christ afterward, they're cast down into the fire from whence they can no more return because of the justice of the Father. And this is the word which he hath given unto the children of men. And for this cause he fulfilleth the words which he hath given, and he lieth not but fulfilleth all his words. And no unclean thing can enter into his kingdom. Therefore nothing entereth into his rest, save it be those who have washed their garments in my blood." What does it mean to enter into the rest of the Lord? DNC 84. Now this Moses plainly taught to the children of Israel, verse 23, in the wilderness and sought diligently to sanctify his people that they might behold the face of God. <laughs> At the end of verse 24. He swore that they should not enter into his rest while in the wilderness, which rest is the fullness of his glory. So the rest of the Lord is entering into the fullness of his glory, which is more than to see Christ in vision, which is more than to see Christ on this earth. It is to have an ascension experience like Moses had and go up to the, the uh, high mountain or the seventh heaven, that place in the heavens where Christ reigns in the fullness of his glory. And this is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is designed to do. This is the doctrine of Christ. 
that he might lift us up to where he is, that we might come into his presence, that we might be sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, who is Christ, or have our calling election made sure. Therefore, nothing entereth into his rest, save it be those who have washed their garments in my blood. Because of their faith and repentance of all their sins and their faithfulness unto the end. Now, this is the commandment repent, all ye ends of the earth, and come unto me and be baptized in my name, that ye may be sanctified by the reception of the Holy Ghost, that ye may stand spotless before me at the last day. Verily, verily, I say unto you, This is my gospel, and ye know the things that ye must do in my church. For the works which ye have seen me do, shall ye do also. For that which ye have seen me do, do even that shall ye do. Or in other words, first, be baptized with water, fire, and the Holy Ghost, and then declare that all men and women must do likewise. Back to 1 Nephi 14. Verse 10, and he said unto me, behold, there are saved two churches only. The one is the church of the Lamb of God. The church of the Lamb of God declares repentance, baptism of water, and fire, and the Holy Ghost, and entering into the Lord's rest, and has the knowledge and power to teach you how to do that. And the other is the church of the devil. Wherefore, whoso belongeth not to the church of the Lamb of God belongeth to the great church, which is the mother of abominations, and she is the whore of all the earth. And it came to pass that I looked and I beheld the whore of all the earth. And she sat upon many waters, and she had dominion over all the earth among all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people. And it came to pass that I beheld the church of the Lamb of God, and its numbers were few because of the wickedness and abominations of the whore who sat upon the many waters. Nevertheless, I beheld that the church of the Lamb, who were the saints of God, were also upon all the face of the earth, and their dominions upon the face of the earth were small, because of the wickedness of the great whore whom I saw. And it came to pass that I beheld that the great mother of abominations did gather together multitudes upon the face of all the earth, among all the nations of the Gentiles, to fight against the Lamb of God. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, beheld the power of the Lamb of God, that it descended upon the saints of the church of the Lamb and upon the covenant people of the Lord. <clears throat> so, it descended upon the saints of the church. Well, who are the saints of the church? Those who enter into the new covenant, receive baptism of water and fire and the Holy Ghost, and also while the fullness of the gospel is going to the rest of Israel, and before they can receive these ordinances, and upon the covenant people of the Lord, <laughs> as we're reading about in Isaiah 44, who were scattered upon all the face of the earth, and they were armed with righteousness and with power and with God, the power of God in great glory. This is talking about the last days. This is talking about the generation in which we now live. 
And it came to pass that I beheld that the wrath of God was poured out upon the great and abominable church, insomuch that there were wars and rumors of wars among all the nations and kindreds of the earth. And as there began to be wars and rumors of wars among all nations. Well, wars and rumors of wars. So wars would be actual warfare. Rumors of wars would be the claims of wars and warfare, which are not actually happening. And there began to be wars and rumors of wars among all the nations which belong to the mother of abominations. The angel spake unto me, saying, Behold, the wrath of God is upon the mother of harlots, and beheld, thou seest all these things. And when the day cometh that the wrath of God is poured out upon the mother of harlots, which is the great and abominable church of all the earth, whose founder is the devil, then at that day the work of the Father shall commence in preparing the way for the fulfilling of his covenants, which he hath made to his people who are of the house of Israel. And what is the work of the Father? The work of the Father is the great and marvelous work and wonder, which commences in preparation the way for the fulfilling of his covenants, which he hath made to his people, who are the house of Israel. Well, the fulfilling of his covenants are that they will be delivered out from bondage and destruction, which is going to be rained out upon the whole earth by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, which is the metaphor in Isaiah. And were it not for this deliverance, they would be destroyed. Now, resuming in 2 Nephi 28. Verse 17. End of verse 15. For the day shall come that the Lord God will speedily visit the inhabitants of the earth, and in that day that they are fully ripe in iniquity, they shall perish. This is the generation in which we now live. But behold, if the inhabitants of the earth shall repent of their wickedness and abominations, they shall not be destroyed, saith the Lord of hosts. But behold, that great and abominable church, the whore of all the earth must tumble to the earth and great must be the fall thereof. Well, what's one of the first things the end time servant does when he returns on the scene? DNC 101.57. Therefore, get ye straightway unto my land, break down the walls of mine enemies, throw down their tower, and scatter their watchmen. And inasmuch as they gather together against you, avenge me of mine enemies, that by and by I may come with the residue of mine house and possess the land. So the beginning of the takedown of the great whore of all the earth is the takedown of the false prophets who lead the Latter-day Saints. Second Nephi 28, verse 19. For the kingdom of the devil must shake, and they which belong to it must needs be stirred up unto repentance. For the devil will grasp them with his everlasting chains, that they be stirred up to anger and perish. For behold, at that day shall he rage in the hearts of the children of men to stir them up to anger against that which is good. And others will he pacify and lull them away into carnal security, that they will say all is well in Zion. 
Yea, Zion prospereth, all is well, and thus the devil cheateth their souls and leadeth them away carefully down to hell. And verse 23, yea, they are grasped with death and hell, and death and hell and the devil, and all that have been seized therewith must stand before the throne of God and be judged according to their works. From whence they must go into the place prepared for them, even a lake of fire and brimstone, which is endless torment. Therefore, woe be unto him that is at ease in Zion. Lest we have any doubt about who Nephi is talking to and about. Woe be unto him that crieth all is well. Yea, woe be unto him that hearkeneth unto the precepts of men again. Woe be unto the members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who hearken unto the precepts of men. Or accept as doctrine that which is spoken not by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. That which is proclaimed from the pulpit, which is not the doctrine of Christ, but some other gospel. Woe be unto him that saith, we have received, we need no more. This is not talking about the non-Latter-day Saints who say, we have a Bible, we do not need the Book of Mormon. This is talking about the Latter-day Saints who say we have lesson manuals and conference talks. We need not to receive our personal instruction about how to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and enter into the rest of the Lord. Just like Joseph Smith said to the Roof Society, shortly before his death, your minds have been darkened because you've relied too much upon me and have neglected your own relationship with Christ. Well, was there sin that they listened to Joseph Smith too much or not enough, that they did not, in fact, put into practice the very things that he was teaching them? They failed to build their own hedge of protection, which was to do what was required of them to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then enter into the rest of the Lord. That is what it means to say, we have received, we need no more. And in fine woe unto all those who tremble and are angry because of the truth of God. For behold, he that is built upon the rock receiveth it with gladness. And he that is built upon a sandy foundation trembleth lest he shall fall. Woe be unto him that shall say we have received the word of God and we need no more the word of God for we have enough. Cursed is he that putteth his trust in man or maketh flesh his arm or shall hearken unto the precepts of men save their precepts shall be given by the power of the Holy Ghost. What's the difference between a true prophet and a false one? Well, the true prophet speaks by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. He speaks the words of prophecy and revelation, which shall all come to pass, while the false prophet prophesies nothing and speaks not by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. And if we put our trust in those men, that is putting our trust in man, making flesh our arm, and hearkening unto the precepts of men. Woe be unto the Latter-day Saints, or Gentiles, saith the Lord God of hosts. For notwithstanding, I shall lengthen out mine arm unto them from day to day. Well, in Isaiah terminology, what is that arm being lengthened out unto the Latter-day Saints? The end-time servant, both in his first and second ministries. Although I shall lengthen out mine arm unto them from day to day, they will deny me. Nevertheless, I will be merciful unto them, saith the Lord God. If they will repent and come unto me, 
for mine arm is lengthened out all the day long, saith the Lord God of hosts. Isaiah 44, verse 12. The smith with his tools works the iron over the coals and gives it shape by hammering. He forges his God by the strength of his arm. When he becomes hungry, he no longer has strength. <clears throat> if he fails to drink water, he begins to grow faint. Compare this with those who ask you to put their trust in them, whose precepts are not given by the power of the Holy Ghost, but instead declare their own precepts and thus dig a pit for the Latter-day Saints. The woodworker draws a diagram sketching his idol with a marker. He creates it by chiseling to the outline of the dividers. He gives it human likeness resembling man's beauty fit to lodge in a house. He is required to cut down cedars. He must select homes. He must select homes and oaks and care for them among the trees of the forest. He plants firs, which the rain makes grow. That which serves men as fuel, which they use to warm themselves or light fire with to bake bread. Of that they create gods, which they adore. From it, they make idols to which they stoop. And they make lesson manuals and they print conference talks. Half of it they burn in the fire. Over it they broil a roast. They eat the meat and are satisfied and also warm themselves and say, ah, it is warm in the front of the fire. From the rest they make a god their idol to which they bow in adoration and pray, save us. You are our god. Or they build up temples and shrines and they present a false endowment which the people receive believing that it will save them. They have become unaware and insensible. Their eyes are glazed so they cannot see. Their minds are incapable of discernment. They reflect not, nor have the sense of comprehension to say, a part of this I burned in the fire. I also baked bread in its embers, roasted meat, and ate it. Am I not making an abomination of what is left. Do I not stop? Do I not stoop to a mere lump of wood? They are followers of ashes. Their deluded minds have distracted them. They cannot liberate themselves from them or say, surely this thing in my hand is a fraud. Ponder these things, O Jacob, and you, O Israel. For you are my servant. Now, this has particular context of the Latter-day Saints in the last days, in that same generation in which the end-time servant would show up on the scene. I have removed your offenses like a thick fog, your sins like a cloud of mist. Return to me. I have redeemed you. Sing, O heavens, for what Jehovah has done. Cause it to resound, O earth beneath. Burst into song, O mountains, forests, and all trees therein. Jehovah has redeemed Jacob. 
He shall be glorified in Israel. Thus says Jehovah, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am Jehovah, the maker of all things, who alone suspends the heavens, who himself gives form to the earth, who annuls the predictions of imposters and makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men about and makes nonsense of their knowledge, who fulfills the word of his servant, accomplishes the aims of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, it shall be re-inhabited and the cities of Judah, they shall be rebuilt. Their ruins I will restore. So the Lord here is making a direct contrast between the servant and the servants talked about in DNC 101. And the Lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants, Go and gather together the residue of my servants and take all the strength of my house, which are my warriors, my young men. They that are of middle age also among all my servants who are the strength of mine house, save those only whom I have appointed to tarry. And again, in DNC 88. Verse 74, and I give unto you who are the first labors in the last kingdom, a commandment that you assemble yourselves together and organize yourselves and prepare yourselves and sanctify yourselves and purify your hearts and cleanse your hands and your feet before me that I may make you clean. Verse 80, that ye may be prepared in all things when I shall send you again or your return in the second ministry before the second coming of Jesus Christ. When I shall send you again to magnify your callings whereunto I have called you and the mission with which I have commissioned you. Therefore, tarry ye, verse 84, and labor diligently that you may be perfected in your ministry to go forth among the Gentiles for the last time, which has nothing to do with Joseph Smith's first ministry. It has everything to do with his second. As many as the mouth of the Lord shall name to bind up the law and seal up the testimony and to prepare the saints for the hour of judgment, which is to come, that their souls may Escape the wrath of God, the desolation of abomination, which awaits the wicked, both in this world and in the world to come. And in JST, Matthew 21. Verse 54, wherefore, on whomsoever this stone shall fall, it shall grind him to powder. And when the Lord of the vineyard cometh, he will destroy those miserable, wicked men, i.e. the husbandmen in the vineyard, those who have legal administration over what is supposed to be his church, and will let again his vineyard unto other husbandmen, even in the last days, who shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Who are these other husbandmen? They're the first laborers in the last kingdom, Joseph and those who return with him. And then understood they, the 12 apostles, the parable which he spake unto them, that the Gentiles are members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, for Gentiles is defined that way in verse 53, and the kingdom of God shall be taken from them, the Jews of Christ's day, and shall be given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof, meaning the Gentiles, which is the restoration of the gospel under Joseph, that the Gentiles or Latter-day Saints should be destroyed also when the Lord should descend out of heaven to reign on the 
to reign in his vineyard, which is the earth and the inhabitants thereof. So Isaiah 44, 24, thus says Jehovah, your redeemer who formed you from the womb. I am Jehovah, the maker of all things, who alone suspends the heavens, who himself gives form to the earth, who knows the predictions of imposters, the false prophets, and makes fools of diviners, the false prophets, who turns wise men about and makes nonsense of their knowledge, those who are highly educated, but seek not the mind and will of God, but proclaim that they have great power and have received great callings, who fulfills the word of his servant, the return of Joseph, and accomplishes the aims of his messengers, those who serve alongside him and under his direction, who says of Jerusalem, it shall be re-inhabited, and the cities of Judah, they shall be rebuilt. Their ruins I will restore. Which happens after New Jerusalem is established. And those who have become kings and priests will be sent to the four corners of the earth, including to the Jews, to effect the separation of wheat and tares among them, that the wheat may be led to establish old Jerusalem again as a holy city. And the cities of Judah, they shall be rebuilt. The ruins I will restore. Verse 27, who says to the deep become dry. I'm drying up your currents. Now, it should be noted that the end time servant is being compared to King Cyrus, you know, who allowed the Jews to come back after the Babylonian captivity and rebuild again the temple and their holy city, Jerusalem. Um, the end time servant fulfills the role of an end time Cyrus. And, you know, Cyrus didn't come uh, on the scene until I think it was about a hundred years uh, after um, it was actually over a hundred years after the days of Isaiah. And that's why many believe that, Second Isaiah, one of Isaiah's, Isaiah's students, you know, wrote this part of Isaiah because how could Isaiah possibly have known about King Cyrus who would come along over a hundred years after his death? Well, you know, one who can prophesy exactly what is going to happen in the last days can certainly prophesy what is going to happen a little over a hundred years after his own death. And those who make this claim do not understand that, you know, Cyrus is being used as an end time metaphor for one of the things the end time servant will do. And he's also being likened here unto Moses, who shall lead his people out of bondage, who fulfills the word of his servant, accomplish the aims of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, it shall be re-inhabited that's the king cyrus um historical precedent and of the cities of judah they shall be rebuilt their ruins i will restore who says to the deep become dry now we quickly switched from the historical precedent of king cyrus to the historical president of moses parting the red sea become dry i am drying up your currents 
who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. <clears throat> he will do whatever I will. He will say of Jerusalem that it must be rebuilt. <clears throat> its temple foundations relayed. Again, Cyrus is being named as a metaphor of the end time servant. And so we end Isaiah chapter 44. Um, next week, we will discuss Isaiah 45 and its context as an end time prophecy. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. And we will now open it up to uh, questions and comments and discussion. And also focusing on how we open our ears to hear, our hearts to understand the word and voice of God. You know, that we might get good at asking questions, presenting conclusions, and finding out from Father if they are correct or not.